0: If you're a tennis fan, you'll love Betting Weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.
1: It's the Mike Francesa podcast
0: on the Bet Rivers Network.
1: On this first day of summer, a good time to take a look at things going on in sports. Uh, and I just want to mention to you that we will have a baseball podcast coming up later in the week with Bobby V, and we will have a uh, NBA uh, NBA draft preview podcast coming up also. So be looking for those. Now, um, Yankees win their 50th game as we get ready to enter summer here. Mets won their 45th, so both locals doing incredibly well and just rolling along, and there's so many days this year where the Yankees and Mets have both won. But here's the thing I took from the Yankee win last night. Yankees and Tampa are kind of like two ships passing in the night because in past years, that is a game that the Yankees would have lost to Tampa. Tampa absolutely would have come back and won that game against the Yankees in the past. But they are not playing the same way. They are giving away a ton of runs. Their defense has been shoddy. They haven't had the timely hitting. They don't get the big out when they uh, used to. Uh, So nothing is going right for them while everything is going right for the Yankees. Yes. Cole pitched well enough to get a win last night and it didn't happen, but the Yankees came back, got a big hit from Hicks, who's been very, very poor at hitting with men in scoring position this year, but he got a big hit last night uh, and the Yankees hold on and get a win in a game. Like I said, that in the past they would have lost to Tampa in recent years. So it's almost like they've kind of changed positions this year, but the Yankees, of course, doing it with a lot more premium talent. And right now we're just continuing uh, to roll along. Lost that game Sunday in Toronto, but let's be honest. Yankees, that was a day off for most of their pitches because if they really wanted to nail that one down, they probably could have. They had an 8-3 lead. They had a 6-2 lead and an 8-3 lead. And they let them both get away. Uh, the Mets, who are about to get Scherzer back, We'll have to wait and see what happens with the Grom. They're going to improve this team before the season ends. We know that. Uh, and they are in a very comfortable position right now and playing very, very good baseball. A couple other things. Back to the golf, to the U.S. Open on the weekend, and it was a tremendous last round. It really was. It turned out to be a terrific three-horse race. Give Fitzpatrick credit you knew he would make some putts because that's what he does—he makes putts. But his ability to hit fairways and greens was just amazing, and he showed greater length than he has showed in the past. You know, getting on a big par five and two, uh, even though he didn't birdie the hole, getting on a uh, par four and having an eagle attempt because he drove the green uh, stuff. He hadn't seen from Fitzpatrick before, so he's improved his length. You know his putting's always good, and he obviously had a relationship with that course dating back to when he was an amateur and won there. So it was a tremendous win for him. Zalatoris, it was a tough loss, but he showed you he is not far away from winning a major. I mean, he can do everything but putt, and he putted well enough to win. So he showed you a lot of ability, and he has in these majors, and it's not going to be long till he wins a major and becomes one of the real prominent players. And then you have Scotty Scheffler, who showed you why he's the best player in the world right now and the most consistent player in the world. And he's going to look back on this tournament, and the only reason Scheffler did not run away and hide on Saturday and Sunday was because of the way he played 10 and 11. He just... 10 and 11 ate him up. He just did not play them right. He went over to back on 10 and gave a double bogey on Saturday. He just never could figure out what he wanted to hit into 11. And he wound up double bogey, bogey on Saturday, bogey and bogey on Sunday. He messed up on the par five, so he didn't even birdie the par five on the backside which cost him, and then he missed a couple of putts he could have made. I mean, putts that were long putts, but he's a very good putter. He made the birdie on 17 to keep it close and then missed the birdie putt on 18, but again, played superb golf to finish tied for second with Salatorius at five under par and show you why the Masters winner and four-time winner this year is right now the number one player in the world, and rightly so, the way he's playing golf. So it was a terrific, terrific tournament. Big win for Fitzpatrick, who they've been waiting for the breakthrough here in America. Sal Torres, who is right on the brink of breaking through in a major, and then the best player in the world right now, the number one, Scotty Scheffler, who continues his superb play going forward there at the Travers this week. is playing, as a matter of fact, at the Travers this week. The NHL, after game two, which Mark Messier said was as well-played a game he ever saw any team play in the Stanley Cup Final, which is quite a compliment. Tampa did bounce back, and bounce back in a big way last night. You can see them winning game four. What you wonder about right now is, can they shut down this absolutely explosive, talented Colorado team on its own ice and beat them there once? They Right now, if they're going to hold form at home, which isn't even a given yet, they have to somehow break through in Colorado, and that just looks like a tall order right now, from what we've seen from Colorado. But it's going to be very, very interesting to see how this unfolds. And I got to admit, I'm into the hockey. I, I like Tampa. I, I do. I, I like the. I like the coach I mentioned to you. I like their mentality, and it, they showed a lot in bouncing back last night. But it's going to still, they're going to have to really come up with something special to win in Colorado against this team that is just lethal on the power play and just so explosive. They really are enormously, enormously explosive. So in baseball, things couldn't be going better. There's just not any way they can. I mean, I guess they can always be going better. But boy, it has been a heck of a first couple of months for the Yankees who have Already piled up 50 wins and are over 30 games, over 500. And the Mets, who are having a tremendous, tremendous season. They really are. And, you know, when have you ever seen the Mets have two guys at the top of the RBI totals? with Alonso leading the way and uh, Lindor tied for, tied for uh, third. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. To have two guys up there with those kind of numbers in the RBI column doesn't happen, has never happened in the history of the Mets, as a matter of fact. When we come back, Mark Feinstein has a book. We mentioned that he's going to come back and talk about it. The franchise, a book on the history of the New York Yankees. Good year to have that. We'll talk to him when we return. You're listening to the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right. I mentioned the book, the franchise, on the history of the New York Yankees. Mark Feinstein's the author, Triumph Books. Mark, welcome. How are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? All right. Uh, Good year to have a Yankee book because right now Yankee fans who many are front runners, not all, but a lot of them are, and they love, obviously, this year where the Yankees are playing dominant baseball. A word of caution, though. It is the regular season, and the Yankees have much, much to prove in the postseason, but good year to have a Yankee book.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of excitement around this team this year. Like you said, you know, they can win 115 games and uh, and have the best regular season ever. If they don't win it all at the end, it's not going to matter in this city. So It's going to hurt this uh, year
1: if it doesn't happen. This year, there's going to be great... What they've built is there's going to be great expectations.
0: Oh, no question about it. But, you know, right now, they seem to be a team that's up to the test. And, you know, right now, you look at them and say they have to be the favorites in the American League. There's nobody else you look at and say they're... Uh, you know, that's a better team than them right now.
1: No, not even close. And, and the thing about them is, you know, they it, it, like, like I said when I opened the, the podcast, that's a game Tampa beats the Yankees the last couple of years. Last night is a game that the Tampa wins. Tampa's giving away games now. They're not getting clutch hits. They're not getting the big out. They're not playing defense. The Yankees are playing defense. The Yankees do get every clutch hit. They do get every big out. And even on a night where they spoil a good performance by uh, their ace, you know what, they come back and they win the game and get a hit from a guy who's really struggled getting big hits and Hicks.
0: Yeah, it's a really resilient team. You know, you look at them, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what they're faced with. They don't seem to, to flinch. And they seem to have the confidence that somebody's going to come through and it doesn't have to be Judge. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of other guys. You know, Rizzo's had some huge hits. Rizzo's uh, had know, just, a big year. Just, I,
1: I, I was very much behind Rizzo being here. I like Rizzo as a player. I think he acts like a Yankee. The other thing is, uh, I I think you know Cashman was stubborn about oh I don't need those lefty bats. Yes, you do. You need a guy like Rizzo, who is a huge threat and can always flip a, a ball into the lower deck and right field. You need those guys. The Yankees have been historically built on those guys.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And I think Cashman finally acknowledged that last year in the trade deadline with Rizzo and Gallo. Gallo hasn't worked out so well, but Rizzo's no. been in seamlessly and you know putting him in there with Judge and Stanton. You're, you're giving an opposing team uh, a real gauntlet to get through in the middle of that lineup.
1: No question about it. Now, the book, uh, which is uh, one that traces the entire history of the team, here's the one thing I'm not a fan of, and it, it, it's just because really where where I come into this as a Yankee fan. When I was a kid, and I used to go to the ballpark, when I, I, I didn't get to go much, but when I got, went and I studied the history because I was a Mickey Mantle freak like every other kid that age, and that was my childhood. The Yankees were still good. They were in the early 60s, and then they went sour. But as Mickey got older and then left after 68. But he was the link, as we knew, to the great, incredible run from Ruth to Gehrig to DiMaggio to Mantle. Uh, as you chronicled, 48 years, 28 titles, 20 championships, What? having the, if not the best, as good a player as there was in the sport, if not the best player in the sport at all times. And it was an incredible link. And to me, those four stand alone. And now the Yankees have turned the, their Monument Park into basically a shopping mall. And put a million guys there, which because it sells, and I understand they can't get much out of Ruth, Gehrig, DiMaggio, Mail because there's not enough people around. have seen them, so they, you know everyone gets old and they pass, and it's it's now a different generation. So the young Yankee fan, it's Jeter, it's Mattingly, it's Jeter, it's it's Bernie, uh, you know, it's it's the core four, it's the it's the whole thing. Uh, so they have to market that. I understand that. But now it's turned into a warehouse of numbers rather than just the four that older Yankee fans grew up on.
0: Well, I think some of those numbers that are out there are certainly worthy of being out there. There are a few. You well, Yogi and and, and and Whitey and you know, Mariano, I Yogi, would agree. But Whitey, it's gotten, Mariano, it, I mean, they, they, they
1: must have 30 something numbers out there now. I think
0: even a guy like Bernie, Bernie is not a Hall of Fame. I love player, Bernie; he's one of my favorites. About, but let's be honest, he
1: doesn't belong in that group.
0: Well, I don't think he belongs in the Hall of Fame, which he's not in. No, he's never I. going to be in. Yeah. But I think when you look at what he meant to this team's history, uh, you know, it, it's sort of the whole thing about when you talk about uh, the Hall of Fame and you try to compare players and you say, well, Mike Mussina wasn't as good as. Randy Johnson or Roger Clemens okay but Randy Johnson and Roger Clemens might have been two of the 10 best pitchers ever so if you're going to limit the Hall of Fame to the 10 best pitchers ever then yes Mike Messina shouldn't be there if you talk about you know just sort of how how good a pitcher was then Mike Messina should be there Bernie Williams isn't Babe Ruth he isn't Mickey Mantle but when you look at his era and what he meant to the Yankees I have no problem with them putting his number out there at all but yeah, and certainly, you know, they, they've taken the other step of giving guys plaques in Monument Park, but not retiring their numbers. I think that's fine, recognizing what a guy means to history. But like you said, you can't just rely on Ruth Gehrig, DiMaggio, and Mantle, because you can't get those guys to come out and throw out first pitches before big games anymore. So it's all it all links together. But when you look at the history of this team, there are some people out there who have had really impactful careers as a Yankee who might not be. To the level of Ruth, Gehrig, Demasi- no. I mean,
1: those guys are four of the top twenty-five. Or thirty, whatever you want to cut the number on, they're in the group. I mean, those four are going to be in the top twenty-five players of all time. They're going to be in the top thirty. They all made the top thirty list. All right, when they had that thirty-player uh, thing, they they're all in there. None of them are not going to be in the top. You know, most of them are in the top ten. If you if most top tens usually end with a male in the top ten. I mean, right around there for top ten. So I mean, the, the four of them get into that level, and it's amazing. What they went through for those years to always have the connection of one of them, except for World War II in the lineup, which is an amazing, really a ridiculous thing when you think about
0: it. It's incredible, and that's sort of my point: is that if you're going to say that's the standard of what you have to reach to get your number retired or to be a monument park, then you're never going to have anybody out there again. And you know, teams. Uh, you know, like to look at their entire history. I mean, there are other teams that have retired numbers and you go, "Uh, who is that? Or why is that guy's number retired? With the Yankees, at least, everybody who's out there, you can point to the career they had in New York, the impact they had in New York. I think Mattingly is the only one out there with a number retired who didn't win a World Series, but I don't think anybody who followed the Yankees through the 80s and 90s would question what Mattingly meant to this franchise as And the most and,
1: popular Yankee of this generation. I, uh, correct, I mean, and I
0: think that stands for something as well.
1: Yeah, no question. I mean, having been at things that they've both been at, Mattingly is more popular than Jeter. I mean, with the Yankee fans, he's more beloved than even Jeter is. I mean, and that says a lot because Jeter is incredibly beloved. But if you if you judge the two, Mattingly usually gets a bigger response. I mean, it's just it, it, the things I've seen; he's gotten a bigger response. Mattingly is unbelievably loved by by the Yankee uh, fans. Just incredibly, he he was that whole generation.
0: Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Also, is that generation is the ticket buying. Uh, You know, the the ticket-buying public that has the money to be in in the stadium. Uh, You know, guys in their their 40s and 50s who grew up with Maddenly as their guy. Uh, Their kids are the ones who are big Jeter fans and who are big Judge fans. Uh, But I know, like, my generation, I'm 47 years old, and, you know, as a kid growing up in New York, every one of my friends was the Yankee fan. Don Mattingly is their favorite player of all time. So uh, that's just sort of how it goes. You know, 15 years from now, I think you may see a shift where, Jeter gets bigger applause than, than Natalie because the guys grew up watching Jeter will be in their 40s and they'll be the ones buying tickets to bring their families to the stadium.
1: No question. You know, it's funny. Um, the Yankees have tailed off in, both in performance and in, 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 in just buzz and appeal in recent years. There's been, you know, there was a time. 2000, 2001, 2, three, four, when A-Rod came, uh, all those years, the Yankees would have 45,000 on an everyday game. They would have f- almost a full house every single night. They haven't gotten back to that after the pandemic. I don't know if everybody has. Maybe nobody's gotten back to it after the pandemic completely. But even before that, the Yankees had – You know they've fallen off. Their 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 postseason performance has been dreadful. uh, Going back now, you know since '09, it's been just, and that's why '09. If it didn't happen, my God, think of what the drought would be. I mean, it would be back to '03. I mean, it would be crazy. So uh, it's the '09 was special, but it's been a very very long time. A lot of bitter defeats. A lot a lot of uh, teams that just couldn't get it done in the postseason, and. You know, that we haven't had up to that level. It's going to be interesting, especially with the Mets playing as well as they are and with their resources. It's going to be interesting to see if the Yankees can get back to that level where they were with the dominant team of 96
0: to 2000. You're right. I mean, that 96 to 2000 team sort of took over the city from MSG and the Knicks and Rangers. Uh, Nick games especially as being sort of the it place to be. Yep, uh, And I think when you look at what they are now, I think a little bit has snuck in to the to the fan base of what we saw in Atlanta, where they were winning the division every single year and everybody said, well, I'm just going to save my money for the World Series tickets. And even they weren't even selling out early playoff games in Atlanta. I don't think you'll see that in New York. I think the playoff games will certainly be, uh, you know, juiced up in the stadium and you'll have sold out crowds. Um, but you know, I, look, it's expensive to think a family afford a baseball game now. And I think, uh, you know, a, a family that may have used to have gone to a game five to 10 times a year, maybe now goes once or twice. And I think that that has to be an impact as well.
1: No question. And now with the inflation where it is, which we haven't even started to feel the impacts of yet, you know, where gas is six and a half bucks a gallon and, uh, everything is so expensive, uh tickets have already gotten very expensive so it'll be interesting to see it also will be interesting to see how the mets play into this you know because they are going to be a worthy rival or someone to compare them to now with their resources with buck there in, as a leader with their resources, with the owner that's there, it's going to make this a a new dynamic, something we haven't seen before.
0: A hundred percent. And, you know, if you look at these two teams, they've got, you know, the two best records in the sport, I think still. And and if, if they're on a collision course to another subway series, it's going to be a much different subway series than it was 22 years ago, because if everybody's healthy on both sides, I could see the Mets being the favorites being oh, able to throw. If the, Grom- if Scherzer the Grom and DeGrom, Scherzer are there,
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: I mean, if you're throwing Scherzer and Grom four times, maybe five in a seven game series, that's gonna be really hard to beat. I don't care how good you are as a team. Uh, but obviously the Yankees are one of the teams that would have a chance to uh, you know to, to actually be able to beat them. But this would be like uh you know a revisit of the O one World Series with Johnson and Schilling, uh, where it's just like, yeah, go ahead, try to beat them. Um, so I think unlike 2000 where I think the Yankees were overwhelming favorites against the Mets, this would be a, a much different scenario if they actually meet in the world series.
1: You know, there hasn't been a lot of buzz yet about subway series. I know, I think the second half of the summer, especially once they play their games and, uh, in, in the head to head matchups this year, uh, when we, I think the first one's June 20, July 26th. As a matter of fact, uh, the, when, whenever that happens, um, I think you'll start to hear that buzz, but I can tell you that was the biggest disappointment in all the time I was on the radio. The biggest disappointment of something we had expectations for was that subway series. It never captured the city the way we thought it would. It just didn't. It just, it, 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 the Yankees weren't into it. The Yankees, uh, to be honest, were in a foul mood during that whole series. Even Tory was in a bad mood during that series because George made it so impossible for them to enjoy because the, the aspect of them losing was just something that was intolerable. And the Mets had to do all the interviews, so they got ticked off about that. They used to actually complain about that openly, that, you know, why why don't you go talk to the Yankees when, when they had to do every interview pregame and everything else because the Yankees weren't doing anything. Uh, it it made it a, a weird series. And, you know, the other thing of that series that people forget is that series was a couple of plays from being a really competitive series. I mean, the Mets screwed it up. They could have really won a couple of games that they didn't win.
0: Yeah, game one was the was the whole Absolutely. thing for me. I mean, if O'Neill doesn't draw that walk against Benitez, it could have been a whole different series. Timo Perez and the walk by Timo against Perez. Benitez.
1: I mean, both those yeah. things killed that game. But you know, the games were close. I mean, Jay Payton hit the home run in day two in game two. You know, even the bouncing ball they did. I mean, so there were that. But it never got the. It never just overtook the city the way say '94 did or the way well, you're even right. The you're Yankees right. About, 96 uh, in 96, the Yankees electrified New York in 96. There wasn't any way you could go where they weren't talking about the Yankees. That series didn't do that. And and that was to me, uh, a, a big disappointment because I thought it was going to be something that was going to be akin to Yankees Dodgers, And it re- it didn't get there.
0: Yeah. Well, Torrey and Cashman in the book both talked about how that was their least favorite world series.
1: Oh, they mile. were miserable. They were uh, miserable.
0: That, you know, runner put such pressure on them. It was really a no-win situation. If you win, you're supposed to win, and, and you know, 3rd straight title, and if you lost, forget it. I mean, this team that had won three World Series in four years, uh, you know, there might have been changes after that series if they had lost yeah. to the Mets. So, uh, you know, it, it wasn't fun for them. I think Met fans tried to enjoy it, but deep down knew that uh, they weren't a good enough team to beat the Yankees, and, uh, you know, I think it, would, it just didn't have that, real competitive feel to it, uh, you know, from the jump.
1: Do you think that uh, long-term the Steinbrenner family still wants the Yankees or do you think they would consider selling the team down the line?
0: I think they're going to hold it. You know, I talked to Hal for the book, this whole chapter about him, there's a big chapter about George. Hal, Hal likes this. Hal enjoys it. I know people think that he doesn't have – the the competitive fire or really cares that much about it beyond it being a business. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think he just in, gets put in the impossible position of being compared to his father, which there's no other person who could be compared to George Steinbrenner in terms no. of uh, the way he owned that team. How, how wants to win? I mean, he, he got that feeling in 09. He wants it back. You know, he's a little more responsible. He's also, as you know, Mike, he's playing a completely different game than his father played in terms of the financial rules and everything else. All these rules that were put into place because of George Steinbrenner, Hal now has to deal with them. And there's also, you know, every team out there has money, whether they want to spend it or not is another question. But, you know, we've seen the San Diego Padres sign two, $300 million contracts. Would you ever have thought that 10 years ago? No. So I think the fact that, you know, teams have enough money to retain their stars. You don't see a lot of Uh, a lot of players get to free agency. It's not like the Yankees can just go out and buy whoever they want, like they used to be able to do. Uh, So I just think it's apples and oranges when you're comparing them. But I do think that Hal, uh, you know, looks at this as a family business and and wants to continue doing it.
1: Yeah. Listen, uh, he's not ever going to have the bombast. We know that. And it is completely different in terms of the rules. There's no question about it, but he just seems to be a far more cautious player Well, I guess anybody would be more cautious than his father was. I mean, his father was (laughs) outlandish uh, in every way, but he just seems a a little cautious. And this is, I think, a very big year for the Yankees because, and and to me, they've actually, with all the success, put themselves in a little bit of a ticklish place because, A, it's going to be hard for them economically and really, in terms of just overall ability of the team to look at themselves and say, are we as good as we need to be at every position or should we try to improve this? Well, they have no reason to improve it for the regular season. Nobody's going to get near them in this regular season. They've gone and hid. They've gone to a place we have not seen a team go in June before they, they they are gone. Okay. We all know they're gone. And, and the question is they don't have to move a muscle. To to win a hundred games, we know that. Now the question is, how do they decide on their way to this carpet ride? How good they are to win in the postseason, where it's always ticklish to know exactly when you're right for the postseason. Anyway, so it's, you know, do they need to make a move? Can they trust Hicks and Gallo? Do they not trust Hicks and Gallo? Do they have to improve their catching? You know, we know their pitching is very deep right now, deeper than anybody could have expected. They have a tricky decision to make at the back of the bullpen, which is going to be fascinating, very fascinating. It might be the biggest one they have all season. Uh, So there are some interesting things to look at with them. Uh, Will they go out and try to improve, or do they feel that they can run with this team and uh, take their best shot?
0: I wouldn't be at all surprised if they bring in another corner outfielder. Uh, I don't know if it's to replace Gallo or to replace Hicks. I don't think they would bring in two. Uh, I think maybe they bring in one, play the hot hand between the other two, uh, you know, Hicks being a switch hitter they like, uh, he's not as big of a, a swing-and-miss sort of hacker that that Gallo can be. Uh, Let's be you know, honest. Like-
1: Cashman loves Hicks. He thought he was getting another Bernie. He is a he is a poor hitter. Let's be honest. He's a good fielder. He does walk, but he's a poor hitter.
0: Well, that's the thing. It, with the rest of their lineup, they can afford one or two spots towards the bottom that aren't, you know, big boppers, right? I mean, the, the catchers haven't hit a ton. Firmino's you know, had some big hits. I think they like what they provide defensively. And when you look at the up-the-middle defense on this team this year, it's been outstanding. And Listen, been I, think the, I think one really of the biggest move they, they made was years. getting the
1: shortstop. I think he solidified the whole team.
0: 100%. 100%. And him, with the, with the better defensive catching with Sanchez gone, you know, Judge has been excellent. In hey, They've the made they no errors all year. They've,
1: made, they have, yeah. they've, they've had like eight on-earned runs while Tampa's had like 45.
0: But I could see a guy like Benintendi or somebody like that uh, being a target for them, uh, you know, to, to play one of the corners, and uh, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of other huge moves to be made. I know people are going to talk about Wilson Contreras. I don't know that they want to start with a new catcher with this pitching I could staff. see him on the two, Mets.
1: I could see yeah, him. On the I could Mets. see that
0: too. I could yeah. see him. Uh, Mets and the Astros seem to be two teams I could see him going yeah. to. But you know, the Yankees seem to be. Look, their pitching is doing great, and the catching has to do with that. So uh, I don't think they're going to mess with. the Where catching.
1: are you on the closer?
0: Uh, it's got to be Clay Holmes. I mean, I understand that Chapman, uh, you know, it, it has a mentality of I need to be the closer. But when you have the best reliever in baseball this year, I don't know how you mess with that. And then um, can you trust you know, Chapman?
1: Could you trust Chapman in a big game if you ask him to be a setup man?
0: Well, I think you have to see what this looks like over the next three months once he comes back. Uh, you know, I've heard, you know, Boone's talked about maybe using Holmes in the highest leverage spot, which could be the ninth, could be the eighth, could be the seventh. And I'm not totally against that because. You know, the save is a number that people look at. But, you know, again, you come up in the eighth inning against Toronto. Well, listen, and they got forget, Springer Mark, they and forget, pe- coming to the plate.
1: People forget that the best Mariano we ever saw was the 96. guy who, who pitched in front of Wetland. Yep. 100%. That was the best Mariano, and he didn't close.
0: Right. And you couldn't really trust Wetland either. He was the same kind of guy who went out there and, you know, loaded the bases before getting out of the jam. Uh, you know, I think a lot of it will depend on what does Chapman look like in the second half of the season. If he looks like old Chapman, then I could see them doing that, where they put him in the ninth and they let Holmes face, you know, the the most dangerous part of the order uh, in the seventh or the eighth or whatever it may be. Um, but uh, you know, it's not what I'm Chapman's going to I'm completely I'm
1: am completely against Chapman being the closer ever again. I I think Cat Chapman has get, has shown you. He can't get the job done in the big spot. All he has done is give up big homer after big homer. I would go with Holmes. I think uh, I would ride Holmes until I have a reason not to. I would ride Holmes the
0: rest of the season. I don't. I don't disagree with that. When you have a guy who's giving up one run this year, I mean that's yep. uh, that, that's pretty good.
1: Yeah, I, I know it's tough to do to Chapman because of who he is and who his legacy is uh, and, you know, the whole idea of Chapman who's bigger than life and everything else. But uh, to me, he's been a bad big game reliever. Let's be honest. Uh, as a Yankee, he's been a – and even when he won it, he was a thrill a minute. When he, when he won it, he still gave up big hits.
0: Yeah, 100%. And this is the last year of his contract, so they don't really have to look beyond this year. Uh, obviously he's not, you know, I wouldn't imagine he'd be back after this year. So, uh, you know, I I think Boone understands there's an opportunity here and Cashman, they all understand there's an opportunity here for a team that is playing, uh, and having a very special season. And if it means hurting somebody's ego to do what they think is best for the team, I I don't think they're going to be afraid to do it.
1: And how how much do you give the pitching coach credit for what's going on with this pitching staff?
0: I mean, I think you have to give him a lot of
1: credit. I I don't know much about him. So, I mean, I I don't know if he is the guy behind the scenes who is pulling the strings. But if he is, somebody's doing it. And, uh, you know, he's got the title. So is it him?
0: I mean, you certainly have to give him a lot of the credit, I think. You you look at what he's been able to do, you know, what they as a staff have been able to do with this. Uh, with this rotation, with this bullpen, this is not like they went out and signed a bunch of big name pitchers and brought them in, and they're just doing what they're doing. The biggest name pitcher on their staff has the highest DRA of all the of all the starters, in Cole, and it's only what three point one four. But everybody else is under three. Uh, you know, the relievers. It's not Chapman and and Britton who are the the big stars. It's Clay Holmes and Mike King, and you know, they're they're really getting the most out of these guys. Um, and I think uh, you know. Blake certainly deserves a lot of credit. I, again, I don't know if it deserves all of it, but he certainly deserves a lot of it. They've,
1: they've been amazing at bringing guys in and developing pitches, which is a la what Tampa Bay has been known for the last couple of years. Uh, the same thing, being able to do that. And it's worked unbelievable. I mean, the Yankees have had these pitches blossom in front of their eyes. It's been unbelievable. The book is the franchise, Triumph Books, uh, on the history of the Yankees from Mark sand. so get yourself a copy. Uh, give your father a late uh, or dad or whoever's in your life, grandfather, give him a late uh, Father's Day gift that he can read over the summer. Uh, Triumph Books is the book. Mark, uh, it's going to be a boring second half for the Yankees. Maybe not as boring for the Mets, but uh, you know, winning can be a little tedious in August and September, but. You pay it off in October, that's for sure.
0: I was going to say, most teams wish they had that kind of boring second half coming their way.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's going to pay off in a very big way. Nothing better than a big October. And it's been a while since it's been a big October, so it's going to be fun to watch. It is.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, you, Mark, very much. Good luck with the book. Good luck with the book.
1: Thanks. All right. So, the book, the franchise, of uh, the history of the New York Yankees, Mark Feinstein. Uh, you're back with your emails after.
0: Wants to email the Mike Francesa Podcast?
1: Drop Mike a note at Mike Francesa Podcast at gmail.com. Mike Francesa Podcast at gmail.com. Send your questions, your comments. We try to get the to couple every show. If not, you know, most shows. Uh, this is James. You've said you don't love Roy McElroy. Just running why is that is is that he seems like one of the good guys of golf. My problem with McElroy is a couple of years ago, he said he was very content where he was and very proud of his jet and his lifestyle. He's matured since then. I give him that. He has said the right things and he's been Mr. PGA here this year. Um, So I think he's matured well. But what drives me nuts is every telecast, no matter who it is, the guys on the golf channel, even Brandel Chamblee, uh, they love Rory. They're always telling you how Rory's going to win. Rory hasn't won a major in eight years. I think they give him way too much credit. He has been a poor putter in big spots, and he always finds some way no matter how he hits the ball, and usually he'll make a run or he'll have a couple of majestic holes, but it's been a long time since he's won a major, eight years. He needs to win again. That's my problem with Rory. It's been too long, the drought. Mike in Westport, regarding the LIV Gulf, do you think it, we're not Saudi Arabia money behind it that a lot more pros would jump? Maybe that will impact one or two. Remember, the United States does an incredible amount of business with Saudi Arabia. Over 350 American companies do business with Saudi Arabia. They're one of our biggest trade partners. So the idea that we don't do business with Saudi Arabia is completely nonsense. We do business, the government does business, America does business, and always has done business with Saudi Arabia. So that shouldn't be the issue. Now, if you don't like how they go about things, you have every right to say that. If you want to go back to nine eleven, 9-11, you have every right to say that. But our country hasn't acted that way. So I don't think you can get on the golfers about the Saudi Arabian money. You can get on them for being disloyal to the PGA going after different things. Uh, I think maybe a little, but I think you're going to see more guys jump, and there are a lot of rumors about a bunch of guys, so stay tuned over the next month. It's going to be very interesting. Jed, uh, what is your take on the state of the radio industry today given the explosion of podcasts and YouTube? Do you think going forward the majority of announcers will be cookie-cutter, as you have said, or do you think there'll be a return to dominant voices Allah Stern and putting me in the class without Stern is very complimentary. Thank you. Um, I think right now it is very easy for anybody to have a podcast. It is very easy for anybody to have a, put themselves up on YouTube. You have access in the new technology to put yourself out there. When I grew up in the business, there were very limited places where you could perform. There were three networks and ESPN was just starting. There was very limited access. It was hard to break in the radio. The fan obviously gave people opportunities and then how sports talk took off across the country as a format gave people a lot more chances. But I think now it is easy to get access, get a show, get out there. The harder thing though was the breakthrough. There are so many podcasts. There are so many voices that it's hard to get noticed. When you are a brand, it helps, like I am or Chris Russo is or Stephen A. Smith is or whoever you want to. uh, When you're a brand, Bill Simmons, it helps because you're already well-known, and that gives you a big leg up because people know you. They know who you are. They know what you do. They know what your stuff is. That's different. Once you do that, establish that, it gives you a – lot of viability that's the hard part for the kids now break through get noticed it's not easy to do nick in brooklyn should the yankees seriously consider trading judge at the deadline now come on nick i know that's not serious uh matt norwick Aaron judge is on a pace to hit 60 homers breaking the all-time single season home run record for the yankees a record that has stood Uh, for 61 years. How meaningful do you think it would be if Judge is the one to break Maris's record? The problem is, steroid or no steroid, these guys dismantled the, the 61 homers. I know it's hard to take, but you can't look at Maris as the regular season home run champ. He's just not. I mean, you can't ignore those records. I don't know what the steroids meant None of us do. And it has really sullied the sport. I understand that. So it's made dealing in these records very difficult because when it's not the record, it's hard to say it is. Even though the guys, I understand, used steroids to get there, and they all did, it's just still hard to deal with it not being the record for me. So I I don't get hung up on that. Uh, Dimitri talks about exactly what we just talked about. What happens when Chapman returns? It's going to be interesting to watch. It's one of the biggest decisions the Yankees have to make this year. Do they give Chapman back the closing role? I don't think they should. I don't think he's earned it. I don't think Chapman is a good bet in the postseason. I don't trust him. I didn't trust him the last couple of years. I I said it every time. I don't trust Chapman in a big spot. Uh, I would not give him his job back. Jan Queens. Lifelong boxing fan. The sport is nowhere. What do you think needs to happen for boxing to become a big deal again? I don't know if it's possible anymore. I don't know if it's possible. The sport has taken such a hit. It has become such a mess. Um, I I don't know if it can be rekindled. I I think the days of boxing as we know it, the great days of boxing, uh, unfortunately are over. Joseph, uh, Mike, you've been fortunate to be around championship players. In your opinion, what common characteristics do they have? I'm asking because watching the U.S. Open, I had the sense that uh, Fitzpatrick had it. I think it's the ability to slow the game down, to slow the sport down, to slow the moment down, and to be able to... Make your best approach. Make your best swing. Make your best play. Make your best throw. Take your best shot when the game is on the line. The great ones have the ability to do that. And the guys who can take their performance and be as good or better in the big spot those are the guys that you, you make champions. The guys who are able to come up in the big spot. And you recognize them very fondly. The most popular player, the most highly regarded player now, is the player who lifts his game in the postseason. a la Bernie Williams. Bernie Williams was not a great everyday player. He was a very good everyday player but he was a great player in the clutch. The game was on the line the postseason. When an RBI, you needed a hit, you needed a big hit, you needed a big at bat, you got it from him. He raised his game, and the guy who's able to do that I think is more fondly remembered in this era where you play so much postseason sports, whether it's NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, You're not playing one week of postseason play. You're playing two months of it in basketball and hockey. You're playing a month of it in baseball. You're playing more and more of it all the time in the NFL. And you will be remembered for those games. The only game where it differs a little bit is is in football because Aaron Rodgers gets great respect. He hasn't been great in the postseason. He's been great in the regular season. And Peyton Manning was never great in the postseason. He was great in the regular season, and they get great respect. So it seems in football, they don't make the guy do it on that level as much. But in the other sports, they have become, what do you do for me in the postseason? Those are the guys that are revered. We'll be back later in the week with baseball, with Bobby Valentine, and an NBA draft preview. And it is a very, very good at the top and pivotal at the top NBA draft. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the bet rivers network. Hey, it's Mike miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Massanelli Podcast today wherever you get your podcasts.